Hello listeners and welcome to Deep Breaths. I'm Dr. Kate McCrossan. And I'm Dr. Kate Steele. And today is episode five, the final instalment in our interview with an examiner. As always, we represent our own views and not those of our employers or ANSCA. So we're back with Dr. Mark Lai. Thank you so much for joining us again. We want to get as much information out of you as possible to help all of our lovely listeners. It's my pleasure. It's good to be here. Fantastic. So this year and quite possibly next year and who knows for how long, the medical vivisection has become untenable due to the pandemic. Acknowledging that you are no longer privy to the examination planning, how do you think the examiners will move to assess the medical content that is being missed? I think regardless of where they put it into, I don't think they'll be popping it into MCQ so much. Um, they, they could, I guess. Um, uh, SAQ is easy enough. I think medical knowledge is easily tested without a patient. Mm. You know, you can ask candidates what they expect to find, mm. right? So you just give them a scenario and just ask them what they expect to find with various illnesses like, say, cardiac transplant, aortic stenosis, liver cirrhosis, all those things. Um, the examiners, if they're doing it in a viva, for example, can easily hand out the investigations associated with this hypothetical patient you have and say, well, what what interpretation can you come up with? And then they can also ask a candidate to quantify severity and what investigations would help, talk about how you would optimise a hypothetical patient without them actually being there. Mm. Um, I think they can all be done in writing or they could spend a specific viva and, and all of which not introducing anaesthesia at all. Mm. I think the downside is, of course, we can't, uh, examiners won't be able to see how a candidate relates to a patient, but hey, it's COVID, you know, let's, uh, let's just give them some leeway. Yeah. Now, Mark, in your opinion, are there any key subspecialty terms that you feel provide an advantage to have completed before sitting the exam? So by subspecialty terms, I'm talking, of course, about paediatric cardiothoracics, intensive care. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, this is a, as a registrar, yeah, completing yeah. them. I, I think peds and thoracics. ENT and vascular are all hard to learn theoretically, Mm. right? I think you really need to see and feel the problems. You know, for example, um, handling a baby whilst, uh, you know, trying to put a drip in a baby whilst holding a mask, for example. You know, you really need Mm -hmm. to understand the logistics and practicalities of that. Or like with ENT, jet or apnea ventilation while somebody's doing a laser bronch. I think if you've never seen that, that's Mm. probably probably rough. Cardiac tends not to be asked in nitty-gritty detail. Mm. Uh, So whilst it's nice to have done a term, you you probably don't have to do a whole term of it. And look, if you're going to miss out on that, let's say you're going to miss out on cardiac or even ENT, then you should definitely spend a couple of days beforehand. Just ask your boss to give you a couple of days in that thing and go and have a look at what a case on bypass looks like. Mm. Go and pick the brains of of a cardiac anaesthetist and say, you know, what are the pressure points that I need to be aware of? Look at what it looks like to come off bypass. Mm. So if, you know, you don't have to do 25 cases to get an idea of that because Mm. in the exam, they're probably only going to ask you coming off bypass or or how do you put an intra-aortic balloon pump down Mm. and what does that look like? All of which you can study by, Mm. you know, uh, from a textbook. There are, there are some things that are pretty hard to fake in an exam and examiners can suss those out. So, so if you've never been to a remote location, you've never been to a cath lab, for example, mm. I mean, it, it seems really obvious when somebody doesn't. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm. I think you make a good point, though, about being creative because 
Uh, I know our colleagues who do rostering and things, you know, quote registrars, oh, I haven't done this term yet. But you actually don't – yeah, there are many things in which you don't have to have done a term. I think neuroanesthesia is a classic example where if you've actually worked in intensive care that has neuropatients, the goals Mm -hmm. of neurointensive neuro-intensive care physiologically, Mm -hmm. you know, are quite similar. And so when I have registrars doing – not that I'm a neuro uh, specialist, but when we end up doing a neuro case and I'm asking them the basics and and I said, well, hold on, have you looked after a subarachnoid hemorrhage? And I see, you know, you know, so it's just popping in and asking, well, can I, you know, just stand in the back while you do this awake fiber optic, I'm just getting creative about how you access things that, you know, have a natural bottleneck because of training requirements and rostering. So. Absolutely. I, I think uh, you can talk through um, like neuroemergence, neuroinductions, for example, mm. talk through the principles, you know, what sort of inv- invasive monitoring you need and, mm. and what's your strategy for, for if the blood pressure goes high, low, if they, if they burst an aneurysm, mm. all, all of those crisis situations. You should, should talk it through with a neuroanesthetist at least. Mm. If you're not going to do a neuro term, you should say, hey, look, you know, you're somebody who's done, you know, 200 heads in the past. Let's just talk about how how you would approach that scenario because again you know like uh it gets people very nervous mm. you know like uh you know i i remember doing a, a trial viva once with this was before i was an examiner so i'm not speaking out of school but i did a trial <laughs> viva with an imgs who who suggested that uh that uh, a patient with a gcs of 14 was in crisis and that they were going to intubate them there and then at the bedside in the neuro ward during a pre-anesthetic visit using Valium. And I said, you only have oral diazepam. And they said, all right, well, we'll use that. And I said, right, well, you failed before you even got into the theater. And that's because they panicked and they said, oh my God, I haven't done neuro for 15 years and I, uh, I wouldn't know where to start. So if that's you, if you're an IMGS and you're thinking, I've never done that before, by all means, go go to a tertiary hospital, spend some time with a neuroanesthetist and just say, look, let's talk this through. How scary is it? Mm-hmm. How scary is cardiac? How scary is a one lung ventilation? How scary is phono? Right. And, and, you know, I'll acknowledge phono is bloody scary, but no, you know, most <laughs> other things we can talk through, uh, without really losing, uh, losing your nut over. Mm. Yeah. And I suppose expanding on that, sort of going to a tertiary institution and talking to an anesthetist that is subspecialized in that particular area, mm-hmm. something else you may be able to do is to observe as well. So I'm sure this is on a hospital by hospital basis, course, but actually yeah. talking to the director of the department to see if you can get permission to come in and stand in the corner of a theater and watch watch a a typical neuroanesthesia case go underway, watch the emergence, watch the induction, you know, see how they manage the five major points where you're going to get blood pressure spikes and go from there. So you actually have that practical experience you can then relate to when you're forming an answer for your your Mm. exam. I think secondary to your point about um, the lovely candidate who was very keen to intubate the patient, <laughs> yes. um, one technique I try to advise candidates, I'm not sure whether you do a similar thing, but particularly for the vivas if they're struggling, I stop them and say, just actually visualise yourself, mm. You know, stand in front of that patient in your head. Mm. And when you talked about remote location, even if you've just walked into the angio suite, even if no one's there yes. and you've just seen where the anaesthetic machine yes. is, 
and you go, oh, now I get it. Because yes. some things have to be seen and yes. experienced, I think. I, yeah. I think so. And I, I mean, and, and whilst we're thinking about it, you know, as an ex-SOT, I, I got to point out that, that some of the candidates are really keen to jump in there and get the exam out of the way. Look, I appreciate that that's your thought. I appreciate that that's what you're thinking because you can get it out of the way, start planning for fellowships and stuff. But gosh, if you've not seen stuff and you've mm. really not done enough terms, you come across in the exam so undercooked. Mm. And, and you know, I've always said to people, your first go is your best go, mm. right? So you're full of confidence. You're full of excitement. Don't undercook yourself. Mm. Don't um, uh, overcook yourself for that matter as well. But, you know, you need to be able to be fluent and have that, that level of experience where you've seen things so that when you, you're talking to the examiner across the table, we all know that you're you're only a fourth-year reg. Mm. And we keep saying, so you're the consultant. But mm. in reality, we know that you're a fourth-year reg, right? Mm. Um, but sometimes, you know, y- y- the fluency shows up, right? So sometimes I've, I've had plenty of, of uh, candidates who were actually uh, third years um, just on, on the cusp of ATY2 sitting. That's okay. If you've if got a brain the size of a planet, carry on. <laughs> if, if, if you're inexperienced and you're just doing it just so that you can get a tick on your box and hurrying it through, if you fail, that's a really tragic situation because then you've, you've broken some of your confidence. And so even the next sitting, even with more, uh, more experience under your mm-hmm. belt, you feel sad about yourself. And, and you know, I, I can't tell you how precious that self-confidence is in, in getting you through the exam. Your first go is your best go. And Okay, some of you listening have sat repeatedly. I'm really sorry. Try and build up that confidence. Mm. That's a good point. So just for fun, <laughs> do you have any particularly prominent or traumatic or humorous recollections of your own final exam experience that you'd be willing to share? Oh, God. Right. <laughs> I, think, I think I studied for too long uh, for my exam. I actually pulled out at 11 months and, and, and thought, oh, I don't know enough. Uh, and wow. and. Uh, and in my own experience, so I, so I probably studied for too long, uh, but it, it meant that by the time I got to the exam, I was, I had done enough Viva practice and, and it was, it was, you know, it was okay. I felt pretty good about the whole thing. And I think on the morning of the exam, you, you got to realize that everybody panics, right? And everybody sort of minds go blank and, and, uh, our whole study group was staying at the same hotel. And, uh, you know, my mother, uh, used to think, with with us kids that before exam she had to feed us protein so we got scrambled eggs lots of them right and 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 i don't know is it brain food no i don't think it is but anyway she used to feed us scrambled eggs so it's become a tradition now before every exam i have to eat scrambled eggs so i remember one of the 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 guys coming down to breakfast looking positively green right and and we're just remarking Jesus, Lyle, how can you how can you eat at this point in time? And like I'm stuffing my face, uh, like there's no tomorrow. He he obviously doesn't know I can eat, right? So he couldn't stomach anything. And so as we were walking towards the Viva venue, he started forgetting stuff, and then starting to panic. So he he then turned to me and said, "Oh, can you t- tell me more about liver resections?" Uh, because I, I I can't remember how to do one at all. So in in five minutes. As we walked there, he got a rapid recap from me, which then brought all his knowledge flooding back. And, you know, guess what? Our first Viva exam was a liver resection. (laughs) And he passed, you know. Fantastic. So so the moral of the story is don't panic and for God's sake, eat breakfast and at least have a coffee. Yeah. (laughs) I like it. Absolutely. (laughs) So, Mark, your 10 years as an examiner has recently come to an end. Indeed. So I have two questions for Uh you. 
What are you going to miss most about being an examiner and what are you going to miss least about being an examiner? <laughs> I th- I think what I'm going to miss most about being an examiner is uh, the camaraderie in the college. Um, the, the Court of Examiners is uh, a really amazing group of people and it tends to attract people who are actually interested in ed- education. So there, you, you do meet people who are really, really clever and you brush shoulders with professors and people who are just, you know, uh, who are just keen uh, to, to know stuff and, and, and it fires you up. When, when you propose a question or you propose an answer, um, people pick holes in it. And, you know, if the candidates are listening to this and they're thinking to themselves, oh, you know, my marker is picking holes in my answer, gosh, you know, we as the examiners have, have had our model answers picked by people far cleverer than <laughs> us. You know, it's just quite horrifying. And, but it's good because it, it, it sort of fired you up academically. And it also is a huge challenge before every exam. I used to spend, um, you know, tens of hours preparing and, and PubMed and, and UpToDate became your, your bestest friend when you're trying to find all the correct details and correct answers. And that helps you in your clinical practice as well because you have to try and anticipate every answer a candidate's going to give you. And so, you know, learning learning all the options of an eye block, for example, you know, I learned more about subtenons blocks that uh, than, I, than I'd ever done in real practice because <laughs> I, I knew New Zealanders were going to say it or or other regional areas had differing approaches. So, so you learn lots and I, I'll miss that and I'm going to have to motivate myself somehow to study. Um, (laughs) I think the things I'm going to miss least is probably just the unrelenting parade of candidates. You know, I think when everybody gets tired and you have to uh, remind yourself that the final candidate is just as valid as the first person on Friday morning. Uh, And so, so, you know, rest assured, if you've got a Saturday uh, session, you know, we all know this. And so we all sort of perk ourselves up trying to uh, <laughs> trying to make sure that you've had just as fair a run. And, uh, and I think, you know, that number of people that are going through is, is probably something I won't miss at all. Well, I must say, Mark, as someone who went through on the last session on the last day, it warms my heart to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got through, didn't you? <laughs> I got through. I got through. Absolutely. That's awesome. So we have a tradition in our very extensive podcast. (laughs) um, We finish each episode by sharing something that we learned this week. Uh, So, Mark, what did you learn this week? Well, I learned that you can smell sevaflurane through my surgical mask. So, <laughs> so if COVID is majorly aerosolized, well, I'm I'm stuffed. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> right. Mark, thank you very much for being a guest on Deep Breast. It's my pleasure. So that's it for episode five, the final instalment in our interview with an examiner series. You can find and follow us on all the usual podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Don't forget to rate and review us too. For any suggestions for future episodes, questions, or comments, you can email deepbreathspod at gmail.com. We are also interested in anyone who would like to be a guest on Deep Breaths or who has a suggestion for a great guest interviewee. Thanks for listening and hope you can join us next time on Deep Breaths.